Welcome to Up and Comers, a special edition of Testimony, a Musician Story, featuring artists that you may or may not know. If you don't know them, you're about to know them. Let's get started. First up, K-Sparks. K-Sparks is hardly an up-and-comer in the hip-hop world, but he is relatively new to the Christian community. K makes his living as a ghostwriter for many major artists in the hip-hop and R&B world. His lyrics have also secured placement in promotional media for power brands like Monster Energy and Powerade. But before he was secretly infiltrating our eardrums with his words, Kyle Hunter was born April 5th, 1980, in the south side of Jamaica, Queens, New York. He was raised with his brother and half-brother. It was a two-parent household until high school, when his parents separated. You know what? It was a, a half Christian household because my mother, she was an evangelist. So she was heavy in the church. My father, not so much. He was more so into um, jazz and things like that. It was cool because it was like I, I got to experience both sides. Like I got the religion from my mom because every Sunday it was church, church, church. You know, we had to go to early morning service, then go to the afternoon service. But then during the week, my dad, he was really into jazz. Like he had a band and all that. They would be playing in the house. So we got to hear a lot of that. So it gave me more, I'd say like more of a, a well-rounded perspective because a lot of times, like a lot of the church people, sometimes they'd be a little too preachy and they would act like they didn't know what it's like to be a real person. So I benefited from that because even though I had the religious platform there for my mom, I still had that that relatable side to me that I knew what it's like to just be an everyday person. Kyle's interest in music came from his father. He began noticing that a lot of elements of early hip-hop came from jazz. And despite the lack of encouragement from his mother, Kyle decided to pursue music his freshman year of college. I, first of all, I didn't want to go to school. I, I just wanted to just make money. I knew that I, I wanted to be successful at whatever it was that I, I did. And I felt that school wasn't wasn't just um, something that's a guarantee. Once I started college, getting around different people, experiencing different cultures, I'm like, you know what? I started taking music more seriously because up until that point, I was just doing like a lot of freestyling. I wasn't really pursuing it actively. And around that time is when, you know, I just really turned it up, started doing like a lot of mixtapes. And um, like I said, at the same time, I was still having fun with it. But then people around me started taking it seriously because I was recording out of this studio where a lot of producers and artists were dealing with like major record labels like Universal Records, Sony Records. So they had got wind of some of my stuff from the engineer at the studio and he was passing it around to people. And then based off of that, 
I started getting contacted from people from Sony. A couple of producers from Puffy's camp started working with me. You know, and this is all just off of GP. Like, you know, nobody was was coming at me with with an angle. This was just because they believed in the music. So they were giving me all these beats. You know, producers normally charging like $20,000 for beat, just giving me like 30 beats at a time, you know. And I really started buckling down because I remembered one person from Nick Cannon's camp actually reached out and they were putting together an album and they wanted me to do some writing on it. So I'm like, what? Nick Cannon? Like writing? Like seriously? Once I saw that, you know, I could actually get paid from this, you know, and I don't have to to hang out with the negative people that I used to hang out with. Like, this is actually real. You know, I was like, wow. So that that was just motivation in itself that you could get compensation from doing something positive that you love to do. So I'm like, cool, man. You know, at that point, it was on and popping, man. And then there was a guy from Universal Records, one of the A&Rs up there. He had taken a liking to my music especially. And I really got into writing. So at that point, you know, I'm going to school full time, but I'm doing music full time at the same time. So I would go do my classes during the day. And then pretty much any time I wasn't in school, I was doing music. That's that's just what it was. And that's when things really started picking up for me. Like what you're hearing so far? Check us out at TestimonyStories.com. That's TestimonyStories.com. Where you can hear content for you and about you. Everyone has a testimony. Everyone has a testimony. And we want to hear yours. Tell us how God has transformed your life. Each month, we will select a person to highlight and interview. Find out more at TestimonyStories.com. Testimony. Testimony. Where Christian hip-hop artists give you an exclusive look into their lives and their music. Take a journey into the minds of today's top Christian hip-hop artists as they open up and share about their past, their faith, and their music in ways you've never heard before. Put on your favorite pair of headphones or turn the stereo volume up and listen. You are listening to Up and Comers, a special edition of Testimony, a Musician Story, featuring Kay Sparks and Aunt Coughlin. Yeah, uh, 1980s with the Black Jays. Some memories of past days. Public school in Queens ain't had no cheddar on me. Free lunch, round pizzas with the pepperoni. I know. You're wondering, did Kay Sparks write Nick Cannon's gigolo? The answer is yeah. <laughs> no. He says he is not responsible for that song. Kay started gaining a lot of notability in the hip-hop genre. He garnered features on MTV Mixtape Monday, BET Artists of the Month, The Source Magazine, Rap Fanatic Magazine, and other notable publications. Kay Sparks was not only an artist, but he was an artist making a successful living by using his craft. That is the dream of every artist. But the story doesn't end there. The rest of it, Kay likens to the parable found in Luke 15. I kind of liken it to like, you know, the prodigal son, like, you know, you go off, you do what you you feel you want to do. 
and then you end up coming back home eventually. So basically what happened while I was in college and uh, I ended up meeting this young lady and me and her, you know, we just started dating and things like that. And, you know, eventually we ended up getting married. She had a little spiritual foundation as well. And we would talk about God and things like that. But it never really, really made me want to go back and have a real relationship with God. Because, mind you, you know, I'm I'm doing my thing. Like, I was successful, you know. So in my own regard, like, you know, getting monetary things and, and all these material items, cars, jewelry, and things like that. So when you have those things, you don't feel that you know, you, you need to make any changes because it's working for you. And then I'll never forget a few years had passed and uh, my mom's got really sick. Like she had got cancer. And, um, you know, all the while throughout all this time, she's always talking to me about God, you know, going to church, you know, you need to have a relationship with God. And I'm like, mom, please, I'm living, I'm good. You know, but once she got sick, I realized like we're not here for a long amount of time on this earth. And even though we might think it's about us and the material things that we have, it's really not like, you know, we're all here for a purpose. We all have an obligation to to try to help others and in the process, make the world a better place, you know? And I started kind of seeing that with my mom getting sick. And then I had just went up to a couple of um, appointments with her up at the hospital because she had to get a procedure done to remove one of the tumors from her breast. And um, it just really started getting me to think, you know, now I'm not knowing that really God is working on me as a person. You know, I'm just thinking oh, this is life. You know, you got to deal with it, whatever. But my mom really started thinking. I remember not too long after my mom had the procedure, I bought a house. I bought like two cars. I'm buying all these material things like, you know, like I'm I'm living. And then I had set up this studio and I'm in the studio recording music. And I just kind of just I just had this like. I say the spiritual enlightenment moment where you really like kind of just analyze your life and where you're at. And I really started thinking and I was thinking about my mom. I was thinking about just just life in general. And it's like, you know, I have all these material possessions, but that really doesn't matter. Like when you when you die and you leave this earth, none of that stuff matters. Nobody cares how many Rolexes you got. Nobody cares how many Bentleys you drove, how much property you own. Like that doesn't matter. You know, what, what really matters is how you live your life. And who you live your life for. And I think at that moment, that's when God really had a shift with me because I realized like, you know, even though I was enjoying life and, and doing everything that I wanted to do, I wasn't really living to the fullest potential that I should have been because, you know, here I am. I have this platform. I'm writing songs for artists. I'm working with all these different artists, all these famous people. But am I really using that platform to the best of my ability? You know, and the answer was no. You know, I was just using it for for me. To, to live life and, and be happy. But, you know, God showed me that there's a different angle. So at that point, man, that's that's when God really started dealing with me about my music, my content. And then the really um factor that also God used was I was about to be a father. So, you know, we found out it was a girl. So it's like, all right, I'm making all this music. And, you know, it's derogatory. I'm talking about women and, and disrespectful fashion and all of that. Like, you know, when my daughter grows up, do I really want her listening to records like that? And then I have to give her the disclaimer like, oh, it's just entertainment. That's corny, you know? So it's like God was just presenting me with all these different scenarios and making me see myself. And, and that's what he does. Like, he challenges you. He takes you out of your comfort zone to realize, you know, all right, you, you think that you're doing the right thing, but you're really not. And I'm not just going to tell you that. I'm going to show you that. And that's what he did. He had to show me myself. Kay didn't just walk away from music. 
He kept writing for the same labels and brands, but he changed his lyrics. His writing is now positive. And surprisingly, people loved what he was doing. And for a while, didn't even notice that profanity was no longer involved. His craft had improved, and this was confirmation that now he was using his platform to the best of his ability. Hey, yo, Jamaica Hospital, see my brother in the clinic, and we got the diagnosis that he bipolar schizophrenic. I'm feeling cynic, won't admit it to enhance you. Few months later, mama diagnosed with cancer. Strangest feeling, see it's hard to get. Hangers building up inside me, he's an architect. Feeling cursed, so I curse when it hurt, cause at first, see I thirst for a burst from the worst. Sicker with the thirst, made sick with dedication. Liquor was my first aid, shit, self-medication, drowning on my sorrow while K Sparks released self portrait and vintage art and pushed them to the Christian media outlets. He wasn't received with a warm welcome. Furthermore, he was taken aback by the fact that most Christian outlets wanted him to pay to promote his music, a concept that was foreign to him. But this hasn't stopped K Sparks from putting out quality music. K-Sparks the rapper doesn't need to be in the spotlight. He doesn't rap for monetary purposes. His writing takes care of that. He is simply just trying to glorify God and pick up where his mom left off. I remember driving up to the hospital. They had it in the hospice, and and she was just fading. You know, like I could see it, like the, the breath was just leaving her body. You know, and that was hard because it's like, you know, that that was a real test of faith in itself because it's like, you know, I'm looking like, well, man, you know, like really, God, like you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, you know, what what you're asking me to do. I'm following your path, and it seemed like, you know, why, why would something negative like this be happening right now of all times? But even within that, you know, even though she passed, and that was was December, December fourth of last year, even within that, I still, I still had peace, knowing that, you know what, she lived her life for Christ and you know and she was an example and everything that she instilled in me you know I'm just carrying the baton for her for the pain and the stress and maybe less than December 4th of 2013 I lost my best friend best friend feeling like I'm homeless for consideration find myself just trying to make some sense about the situation my situation and my Lexus on the highway just Testimony, where Christian hip-hop artists give you an exclusive look into their lives and their music. Take a journey into the minds of today's top Christian hip-hop artists as they open up and share about their past, their faith, and their music in ways you've never heard before. Put on your favorite pair of headphones or turn the stereo volume up and listen. Connect with Testimony and Musician Story through social media. Find links to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more at TestimonyStories.com.
for the second half of Up and Comers. We are going to spend time with Aunt Coughlin. I heard the sky begins at the ground. So I guess that's why they live in the clouds in my city. And there's a line around the corner at the clinic where they get the next trip for free, but leave empty. I've seen plenty put the pennies in a plate, but I promised it'll be okay. Just have faith. Aunt, short for Anthony, was born September 26, 1984, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Although he is one of nine siblings, he was raised as an only child by his white grandmother. After persistently bugging his grandma about meeting his siblings at the age of 16, she thought Aunt was finally strong enough to emotionally handle coming face-to-face with the reality of his broken family. So that Christmas, he met the whole sibling crew. One person he didn't meet was his Black mother, a drug-addicted alcoholic. She was supposed to be there the Christmas that I was around, and she wasn't. And all the way up until the time I was 18, she was in and out of rehabs and just kind of bouncing around to different places. And at the time, my grandmother and my step-grandfather, who had basically taken care of me, were living just outside the city. And she had just gotten out of rehab and was moved into an apartment right in the same neighborhood. And I found out through one of my sisters. And I said, well, listen, you know, she's mad close to me. I'm, I'm going to go see her. And I just showed up at her door uh, when I was 18. and. I think I might have been about 24 or 25. I had been married for a couple of years. She got word. My wife and I were in church one Sunday, and I got a text from my sister that mom was sick in the hospital. And I got there, and I thought she had, had cirrhosis. She knew she had cirrhosis of the liver from drinking. And I thought, oh, no, her liver's failed. Something's wrong. And I got there and found out that her boyfriend, like 10 years, had beaten her um, so bad and thought that he killed her from beating her, that he hung her from, he hung her in the, in the bathroom from the shower curtain to make it look like a suicide. And that's actually what killed her. So I lost my mother before I ever got to develop a real relationship with her, you know, about five or six years after I actually met her. His mother had lost complete brain function. So the family made the decision to take her off of life support. Her boyfriend is now spending 80 to life in prison. Anne's father, a white man, was a serial criminal who spent most of his time in and out of prison, following the footsteps of his father, Ant's grandfather, who eventually died in prison. You know, I have had an on and off again relationship with my dad. My dad comes from a broken home. His dad was a career criminal. He's in jail and he got a life sentence and died in prison, I think last March, which caused my dad to come up in a very very broken home in a a very rough environment. And he had a very difficult you know, way to go coming up. So, you know, which caused him to, I, you know, it affects his, you know, brokenness in any form it influences us. And so, you know, it made for him very difficult to be a dad because he has, he has me and then my other sister, my one, my younger sister. Um, and he was not really there for us. Now he was there from time to time. You know, I had father figures growing up, really good ones. It's not the same um, when you know that you have a dad I um, mean, he didn't die. You know, it's not, he's, it's not like he's nowhere to be found. Like, I know him. I know where he is. I could go find him. But he doesn't want anything to do with me. And I got to a point where I was married for a couple of years and realized, like, okay, it's not totally my dad's fault that he is the way that he is. And it's difficult for him to be a dad. And the Lord, you know, began to reveal to me that he was a perfect father. 
regardless of who my parents were, what they'd come up with. The more I found my identity as a son and the father, the more my relationship with my dad um, took on a nature of mercy and grace. And, you know, I began to see my dad as someone that was in my life for me to love and to care for and honor like the scriptures tell me to do. And it would look, you know, I, I came to the realization that that was going to look very different for me than it would for most most men. But, I, you know, so thankful to have him and thankful that he's still around by God's grace. But, you know, very different upbringing, very different relationship than, you know, your typical father-son relationship. I know we never really asked for this. Missing heroes and collateral damages. We look for answers, but he's away on sabbatical. Somebody let Miss Hannigan loose, and that's problematical. Follow the leader who, if it's you, then I holler Attica. I need answers, I'm out of them. I don't know how to love without thinking about physicality. Sacred becomes casual. Apathy feigns actual rage until I fade away. Surrounded by brokenness, and coming from a pedigree of criminals and addicts, Anthony could have understandably followed in his parents' footsteps. But thanks to Milton Hershey, founder of Hershey's Chocolate, 1894, something incredibly awesome happened to nine-year-old Anthony. Ant was accepted to Milton Hershey School, an institution built to nurture and educate children in financial and social need. There he received a free education, housing, clothing, and health care, all the way through high school. And his college education was paid for, too. Keep buying Hershey's products, y'all. Testimony. Testimony. Where Christian hip-hop artists give you an exclusive look into their lives and their music. Take a journey into the minds of today's top Christian hip-hop artists as they open up and share about their past, their faith, and their music in ways you've never heard before. Put on your favorite pair of headphones or turn the stereo volume up and listen. Everyone has a testimony, and we want to hear yours. Tell us how God has transformed your life. Each month, we will select a person to highlight and interview. Find out more at TestimonyStories.com. Download the podcast of Testimony and Musician Story on iTunes. Find out how at TestimonyStories.com. A Musician's Story. What's up? This is Aunt Coughlin. You are listening to Testimony, A Musician's Story. Stay tuned in. Grace and peace. I close my eyes to drift back, everything's in black and white. Enmity of afterlife is lurking through my apprehensions. No more than adolescent, covered in muddy stains. My vision covered gray, no passion or effervescence. On my shoulders, I carry a bag that sags. All of it's made of rags, and it hangs because I carry boulders. Compose the woes and guilt. Coincidentally or not, around the same time he was accepted to boarding school, he was introduced to God. We had gone to this Easter play, and... You know, as a nine-year-old, it really moved me. I wasn't really sure why, but it moved me. And the pastor, whoever it was at the end, you know, called for people to come up to the front. It was a typical altar call, and he asked for people to come in and profess profess Christ. And I did. And I, I was like, I was moved to tears. But my life after that, you know, would be evidence that, was evidence that the Spirit, you know, probably hadn't come to indwell me, maybe to influence me and to begin to draw me to the Lord Jesus. And then when I got to college, you know, I had entered college with a girlfriend who I was living with, sleeping with. You know, I was listening to a lot of, um, I guess, just hip-hop with a lot of angst 
and a lot of, you know, anger and that kind of fueled me and made me angry and which turns into, which turned into depression because all the things that I had said I would never do and all the things I said that I would, you know, that I thought who I thought I was, you know, God was graciously showing me that I not only was I not those things, but I was much worse. I got into a major, major fight with the girl that I was living with at the time and ended up going back to my room, fell on the floor. And we're just like, God, like whatever I'm doing, it's not working. And I know, I knew the whole time, like, you know, I was rebelling against the Jesus of the Bible and who he had created me to be. I had a guy who mentored me in college. His name is Shailen. And he, he compared it to suppressing the truth, like pushing a beach ball down, you know, and then it just keeps popping back up in the water. And I remember like, I cried and prayed for like an hour or two. And then I fell asleep on my floor and I woke up the next morning and just felt like an overwhelming joy, like joy that I'd never felt before. And all I wanted to do was learn about Jesus. The Christ of the scriptures became became the Christ of the scriptures for me and that the gospel became true for me. So that was, you know, that was the moment where things went from, you know, very dull black and white to I felt like I was actually alive. Yes, he did just name drop. <laughs> and attributes a lot of his understanding of the gospel and the way he appreciates scripture to rapper Shylin, who coined the term lyrical theology. As a teen, Anthony wrote poetry and slowly started writing rhymes. But verbally, he rarely would spit. A couple weeks after getting saved, he found an old The Cross Movement CD. And I listened to it. I'm like, yo, this actually makes sense. Because before it didn't make sense to me because I didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear or a heart to understand it. And and I, I listened to it. I'm like, I I could do this. Like, I don't have to just, like, I thought I was going to have to stop writing hip hop. Like, I remember the, the church I was going to at the time. Um, I took all my CDs, which I regret now. <laughs> I took all my, my CDs up to the altar and the, and one of the pastors or somebody like stomped on them and stepped on them. I said, this has been a vice for me. Like, this has been an idol and I need it out of my life. Um, so I didn't think that I was going to be able to do anything for the Lord musically and it wasn't two weeks after that that moment that I described earlier that I wrote my first rhyme for the Lord Jesus to the Roots Adrenaline Beat. But I spit it at the next college open mic that I could get into and won the open mic. And prior to that, I did like tons of open mics. I didn't win, it, didn't win anything. I didn't win Jack. And, and I was like, man, Lord, I think I could do this. And ended up hooking up with some heavy hitters in Philly, like Shylin and Stephen and Levite. He submerged himself in the Philly rap scene. Radio zone while I'm packing for the days ahead. Way back, I'm thinking how decades ago I made my bed. Laying in it like a lazy man. On his way to napping away the day and wasting what he foolishly neglects to spend. My face should up the one to strangling my wrist a race against time and space that seems limitless. I've been hacking up junk for days and I couldn't keep pace with penitence. I wonder if my king will remember this, how I've made disgraceful memories and seen the same type of images. The thing that I was so excited about was here's a bunch of cats who are my friends and love Jesus and love that same kind of hip hop that I do. And so that is really what, you know, had drawn me to that particular culture. So, you know, my friends and who are still my friends, you know, are guys like Shy and, and Steven and, and DJ Essence and and R Swift. I mean, all those cats were I mean, we you know, we used to Gosh, some of us, we used to ride the train together and, and, and share the gospel with people. So 
you know, those are the things that excited me more. In addition to name dropping, (laughs) just joking, Ant is a middle school teacher. He is currently working on new music. But meantime, listeners can listen to tracks from his last project, Light Rooms, Dark Halls. Each of the six tracks, Ant shares a piece of his life, the good pieces and the broken pieces. The Love That Finds Me is a song about the loss of his son at birth. I remember you laying on the bed and blaming you. I said he's good and his story says we'll make it through. Even though we have to go home to a vacant room where a space for three has suddenly become a space for two. It's grace that follows us through obstacles and out of hospitals. With love that's optimal through valleys where he'll make us new. His short life was used for things that we did not assume. Like knitting us together and making glory heavier and heavy burdens featherweight as we await the groom. We lost the pleasure of a son, but we have better news. We have the treasure of the one who's irreplaceable, radiant, greater than the pain that we've been praying through. And sunflower, on the day we see his face and all our tears are wiped away, we'll sing his praises and amazement. His glory will eclipse all this. He's who we're waiting for. And his cross is why I'm out sing. Since then, he and his wife have welcomed their second son. Thank you for listening to Testimony, a musician story. To hear this episode again, as well as past episodes, visit TestimonyStories.com. Until next time, I'm Brown Theory, the music lover constantly seeking positive music.